Hello and what's this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxson and we're talking all things sport in Salford. Joining me show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweetenham. James, obviously lots going on with the coronation, but we're ready to talk all things sport in Salford and beyond. Yeah, we most certainly are, Rob. This is time to get away from the festivities and talk all things sport because there's been some big stuff going on and I can't wait to break it all down with you over the next hour. Yeah. So we'll start with the boxing. And on Saturday night, John Ryder flew to Mexico to fight Kinelo Alvarez. And while he didn't get the result he wanted, he made the country proud. He most certainly did, Rob. As we previewed on the show last week, it was an almighty ask for John Ryder. This is somebody who's struggled domestically against the likes of Jack Arnfield and Nick Blackwell. And somehow, by the grace of God, he's been able to turn it all around. He's been able to put fantastic performances together against the likes of Callum Smith for the World Championships on a night where he should have been crowned as a World King. It wasn't to be, but he's had this massive opportunity against Canelo Alvarez. And he, by definition, left every single last ounce of himself in the ring. Canelo put him down in the fifth and that didn't stop him. He kept going and going and going. And that last 30 seconds or so of the ninth round was nothing short of absolutely inspirational. Rob, the gorilla, John Ryder, he didn't get the decision. He lost ultimately by quite a large margin, but he can go away from this with his head held very high. Did he give Canel the toughest challenge out of all the Brits that he's faced? I think so, yeah. I mean, if you look at who Canel's been in there with from a British perspective, there's been Matthew Hatton, Amir Khan was fiddly for a few rounds, as was Billy Joe Saunders. Liam Smith kept pushing and Rocky Field in Bodline fell over. But if you look at who gave him the toughest test overall, I think you have to say John Ryder. You know, he went the distance. He grabbed a couple of late rounds. Even, you know, he didn't quite buckle Canelo, but he hit him with some really sturdy shots late on in the fight. And uh, and the Mexican clearly knew what was going back at him. So, of all the Brits that have been in the ring with Canelo, I would say John Ryder gave him the toughest test. What is Ryder's legacy now, James? It's a difficult question. He should have the legacy of a former world champion. A man who had the WBA title and the Ring Magazine title. He was robbed that night. And so it wasn't to be. However, I will always remember him for that performance, that great performance. But I think this win against Canelo means even more than that because it really showed that he's got that metal, that he's got that desire to never give up. He'll never wilt. He'll never stop trying. In front of a Mexican crowd of, what, 60-odd thousand, he kept trying and trying and trying. And I think by the end of the night, the Mexicans loved him almost as much as they love Canelo Alvarez. For me, John Ryder will be remembered as a fighter's fighter. Somebody who was willing to get in the ring with absolutely anybody. Somebody who was never the A-side, but always kept delivering when it mattered. John Ryder's a British great for me. Mm. How much has Canelo got left in the tank after this, James? It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, you would have thought maybe a couple of years ago he would have beat Canelo, he would have beat John Ryder a bit more conclusively. I mean, I still think there's the stuff there for Canelo. I don't think he's completely at the bottom of the hill. He's not shot by any stretch of the imagination. But if there is a mountain, he's ever so slightly coming down. You can see that in his last few performances. I mean, in Golovkin fight, in that third bout. I mean, we've got to remember he lost the first two, really. He got a couple of gift decisions. But in that third bout, yes, he won it conclusively. But he looked a little bit slower. He looked up the beat. His fitness didn't look as good. He didn't look as formidable in there. And I felt the same against John Ryder. So there are a few big names in this division. The likes of, you know, David Benavides, Charlo. He can go up again and fight Dimitri Bivol in a rematch. But I don't 
know how much longer he's going to be able to keep beating these guys for. He probably goes in against in, in the favourite against you know two of the three of those guys, but will he be able to do that forever? I don't think so. Is there anyone in the Canelo camp to say, look, it's time to, to finish it off? Yeah, so obviously him and Eddie Reynoso, his trainer, they've been together for a very long time, and this is something fighters seldom do, is call it a day when they should. Hmm. Canelo, right now, imagine calling it a day after beating John Ryder in front of tens of thousands of your own fans at a big homecoming. I couldn't think of a better way to run off into the sunset, but he's going to carry on probably at super middle, at light heavyweight. I mean, I suppose I can understand why he'd want to beat Dimitri Bivol. He's obviously a man who beat him previously. He wants to get that one back. But if he continues at super middle and fights Charlo Benavides, yes, they're great wins. And I suppose they add a little bit of sprinkling on top of the cake, but he's already become an undisputed super middleweight world champion. I don't know how much longer he needs to carry on for, because as far as legacy, I think it's already locked in already. Mm, I was thinking about legacy then, James. Is this, you know, continuing to fight going to hurt his legacy, you think? Perhaps. I mean, if he starts getting beat, yeah. I mean, I'm not necessarily one who thinks losing a fight is an absolute ruiner, but I think it can do if it's at the back end of the year career when people go, oh, you really should have stopped, but you carried on. I mean, if we look at Roy Jones Jr. right now, somebody who was arguably the most athletic fighter to ever set foot in a boxing ring, somebody who was truly, truly brilliant. After he beat John Rees for the heavyweight title, he struggled to go back down in weight and he started compiling those losses and people don't look back at him as the great that he truly was. And you've got other fighters, even, even Floyd Mayweather, who's still unbeaten. How do you look at him now that he's competing in all these exhibition matches? And it's great that Canelo Alvarez has been so active throughout his career and he's fought so many greats. But I wouldn't want him to be in a position where he's carrying on for financial gain mm. and he's not at the peak of his powers. That would be a worry for me. Yeah, and I think, I suppose, boxing's big money in it. So, you know, I suppose there are lots of fighters that think I just need one more big payday to make me safe. But like you say, these boxers, they, they love to get that addicted to that adrenaline rush, don't they, of fighting in the ring. It's hard to say no in the end, even if your body's telling you no and your trainer's telling you no. It's all about how you feel, isn't it, really? Well, it's an addiction, isn't it, at the end of the day, Rob? That balls of that walk into the ring. And there's always somebody who the fans want to see you fight. Hmm. I mean, when, if Tyson Fury, for example, after he fought Dillian White, people still want to see him back of the ring for Anthony Joshua. Alexander Usyk, Zili Zhang beats Joe Joyce, you want to see him in with him. It, it just keeps going and going and going, and it's a conveyor belt. There's more and more prospects being generated on what feels like a monthly basis. More people you want to see him fight. And Canelo, really, he could probably put five, six, seven, eight, nine names that you want him with, and he could beat all of them, and then there'd be another seven, eight, nine more names for him to fight. It's never over, so you're right in terms of he should be calling it a day at some point in the near future for me. Will he? I don't think so, especially while he's making those millions and millions of pounds. I mean, while he's a big star in Mexico, he's never been the biggest talker. So I don't know how big a career he's going to have outside of the ring in 20 years' time. But who knows? Who knows? I mean, he's still got everything in terms of charisma. He's still got everything in terms of star potential. It's just whether he can unlock an English audience. For me because mm. he's never committed fully to speaking in English, which would reserve him post-career to doing stuff in Mexico. And I don't know if he'll be okay with that. If you can give me one name, uh, James, who do you fight next? I think he'll fight Dimitri Bivol in the rematch. 
Uh, for me, that's not necessary. I think the Russian beat him quite comfortably last time. And I don't think we always need to do rematches. I think it can be a waste of somebody's career. And it's almost like a big I am, isn't it? Of, you beat me, so I've got to beat you. But it's not necessarily the right path for him to go down. I would prefer the David Benavides fight. It's fresher. It's an all-Mexican grudge match. It's at a weight that's better for Canelo at super middleweight. So that is the one I would go for. Mm. Let's move on to Tyson at Fury James. By the sound of it, he's lined up his next opponent. Yeah, it was originally looking like Andy Ruiz, and I'm not going to respect the Mexican because he's a great fighter. He obviously turned over Anthony Joshua. He pushed Joseph Parker close. He's beat a bit past the best, but the likes of Chris Ariola, and Luis Ortiz, he's got rapid hand and a good boxing IQ. But stylistically, that was an easy matchup for Fury. If AJ can outbox you on the back front, you bet your bottom dollar Tyson Fury can go it too. Mm. Therefore, I was never overly into this fight. You know, Despite the fact we had these two big names and it probably would have done big buys, it wasn't for me. Zilly Zhang, on the other hand, I think is much better. I mean, make no bones about it. This is a man who has just beaten Joe Joyce. And in his previous fight, beat Philip Hergovich. I mean, let's ignore what the judges says. I mean, the people know who won the fight that night. So this is somebody who realistically has earned his way towards a world title. He showcased enormous power in his left hand. He's a southpaw, which is always tricky. And Fury, physically, and this is the important part, won't be able to bully him around the ring. This is somebody who is anything stronger than Fury. And granted, yes, the Gypsy King will go into this one the favourite. Make no bones about it. But Zhang's got a punch. And if he detonates on Fury's chin, it could be curtains. So this is one that I'm exceptionally looking forward to. And it'd be great if it lands in a stadium over here after the disappointment of the Chisora fight and the dangling of the Usyk fight. I think this is a good one for the British fans to get behind. But even better, 13.2 million people in China watch Zhang's last fight. He's an international star out there. So I'd love to see him in Beijing. It's really about Tyson Fury's legacy, though, really, isn't it? You know, really, because obviously we all wanted the Andrew Joshua fight, but that never came. Um, is this going to put him into to the orbit of the, the greatest fighters of all time if this happens rather than Joshua? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, after the third Deontay Wilder fight, we all held Fury in such a high regard. And the same after the Dillian White bout. Then he retires. He goes on this ridiculous rampage of retiring, unretiring, retiring, unretiring. And it went from exciting to just outright boring. And Tyson Fury, I mean, he starts putting out these fake deadlines for Anthony Joshua. And then he fights Derek Chisora without any deadlines. A man who he'd beaten twice relatively easily both times, especially in the second out in. So it was an absolute disgrace as far as I was concerned. And then with the Alexander Usyk fight, he starts talking about 70-30 purse splits, acting like the you know the unified champion in Usyk brings absolutely nothing to the table. And he quite frankly disrespected him throughout that entire thing. So I think the British public have lost faith in Tyson Fury a little bit. And after the Dillian White fight, yes, he was held in the regard with these great fighters. Now we've sort of dropped out of it because the likes of Muhammad Ali... George Foreman, Joe Fraser, Lennox Lewis, Vitaly Klitschko, etc. For absolutely everybody. And right now, Tyson Fury has avoided Anthony Joshua and he's avoided Alexander Usyk. And that could be for financial reasons. But either way, he's still found a way to duck those opponents. And these other greats in the past haven't done that. So he needs big wins now. If he fights Usyk in December, that will get him on the redemption path because he'll have beaten all the greats of his era. And if he puts Zilly Zhang on the record as well, I think that's okay. I mean, the Chinese man just beat Joe Joyce live on BT Sport in front of a lot of people in a big upset, and he got the stoppage as well. 
Everybody knew uh, Joyce was there to be outboxed. Granted, slightly better boxing IQ than given credit for, but still not a genius in the ring by any stretch of the imagination. The fact that he was able to get rid of Joyce when Joyce has been so long renowned for that stone chin, I think that was a big achievement. Mm, but, it, but it probably helps both fighters that if you don't fight each other, then they both don't have that opportunity to sort of ruin the legacy by losing to the opponent that everyone wanted them to fight. Yeah, I mean... The AJ fight is always going to be there, isn't it? Mm. But it is by no means the monster. It was five years ago. I mean, if you remember when I joined the show, Rob, and we were first talking, Fury Joshua was everything mm. in the boxing realm, wasn't it? I mean, from your perspective, and as a more casual fan, does it have that same appeal? Because for me, it doesn't. Yeah, that's all I want to see, really, because they've both been top British fighters. Um, they've both, like you said, managed to avoid each other. And you just think to yourself... You know, if they do get an opportunity to fight each other, that should that would be the biggest sort of boxing uh, fight since I don't know Bruno and Lennox Lewis. But like you say, it's all very political, isn't it? Really, and, you know, fighters want a bigger share and they want to be able to walk in the ring first, and they want to be the first name on the on the ticket. And you know, there's a lot of things to have to kind of get uh, get sort of right for both fighters to agree the fact it seems to me that neither Fury um, or, or Joshua can kind of agree on being the other man in this fight they both want to be the man if that makes sense yeah they do I'll tell you what's interesting Rob Tyson Fury after being out of the ring for years and years and years he was offered an AJ fight and he he couldn't get it over the line because he demanded a 50-50 split hmm now that AJ would be coming in the challenger, he's demanding a 70-30. So mm. he's changing the goalposts, isn't he? I mean, it's one rule for one, one rule for another. And that seems to be what Fury's about. I mean, if he really was invested in fighting the best, he'd, that Usyk fight would have happened. Because there was no doubt in my mind that the Ukrainian was keen. And in December, despite the fact that Eddie Hearn didn't necessarily want him to go in that direction, I think Joshua was pushing for the Fury fight. So it's getting frustrating. And as you said, as a casual fan, you still want this matchup to happen. So do I. Who knows what's going to happen at the end of the year in Saudi Arabia. We're hoping for Usyk Fury. Granted, we don't want it in that location necessarily, but it does look like that's where it's going to go to. But for now, in the summer, if it's not going to be Anthony Joshua, if it's not going to be Alexander Usyk, I do think Zilli Zhang's the next big thing. Mm. Talk about Eddie Hearney announced a big signing on Saturday night. Talk us through it. He did. Regis Progre, a great Super lightweight, a world champion with the WBC, somebody who has been a great fighter over the years, but in recent times has struggled a little bit to get the promotion he deserved. And had he had that throughout his entire career, I think he could have been a bigger name than he is. But he's got a world title now. He's headlining a fight in his hometown in New Orleans. It's a good matchup for him against an Australian contender. And should he win, there's a big fight waiting for him potentially against Gosh Taylor in a big rematch there, or against Jack Cattrall, who most people now regard as the undisputed super lightweight champion. So that'd be the one I'd be aiming for. Yeah, but he wasn't all smiles for the British promoter as he lost a big purse bid. He did, Arthur Baturbia versus Callum Smith. It's no secret that Hearn wanted to stage this one in Liverpool for his British fighter. Instead, the Americans won it, their Russian-slash-Canadian fighter, 
auto-perturbiev. So it looks like it's going to be going to Montreal or Quebec, which is light years away from Merseyside. So it's not gone well from at all. Interestingly, with purse bids over two million each for both promoters, they ended up losing by just a mere 15 grand, which is pretty crazy. Obviously, people are beginning to speculate that maybe it was known what was going to be in those envelopes at the purse bids, but who knows? Regardless, Bob Arum and Totrang have won this one. Hmm. The big question is, why? 15 grand... You tell me, Robert. Mm. Sort of, you get the feeling that uh, maybe Aaron was tipped off as to what Herm was going to do, and he's just literally been a, a very small fifteen grand. I mean, that's not small in, in our terms, but in terms of these big boxing promotions, a small fifteen grand more. It does feel like that's what's happened here. Mm. Uh, sad news as we just New Zealand boxer David Light has suffered a stroke in aftermath of his world title fight. Thoughts are with his, with him and his uh, family at this time, James. It's a, a sad story that. It is. Boxing is an extremely dangerous sport. And I was there the night where David Light challenged Lola Onsicoli for the WBO Cruiserweight Championship of the World. And the New Zealander put shifted. Granted, it wasn't the most entertaining fight, but I was there ringside. And I can tell you for nothing that Lawrence Acoli hits very hard. I wouldn't want to take shots off him. And David Light took quite a few. And in a testament to his bravery, he made it the distance. But obviously, it's had its repercussions. He's been in a state of medical unwellness. And I hope that he recovers. It's looking like he is. So hopefully he'll be back to full fitness soon. And let's ignore fighting for the time being. We just want David Light to get better. Mm, I suppose these boxers, James, it's a, a tough industry, a tough sport that, you know, they push their bodies to the absolute limit. And, you know, things like this, it makes you think about the boxers' welfare. Absolutely, Rob. I mean, in this country, you can select the British Boxing Board of Control quite a lot, but they usually do have quite a good standard of medical facilities available to the fighters. I'm not sure what that's like in New Zealand and Australia, but I hope that David Light, off the back of what's happened, is getting all the help in the world because he needs it at this time. And, you know, maybe he will fight again one day, but as I've already said, you know, we hope that he just recovers. Um, mm. There's no long-lasting damage. And, you know, Lawrence Sicoli going on from this, hopefully it doesn't affect his career at all because we have had fighters in the past who've caused damage to their opponents and they've become gun-shy in the ring for fear of doing it to somebody else. So I hope that both men have a swift recovery, both mentally and physically. Yeah. Uh, Deontay Wilder has been arrested for possession of drugs and a weapon. Uh, does that hurt his record, James? Uh, I don't think it's going to have a massive effect on Deontay Wilder. Obviously, it could cause some problems for him getting back in the ring again, but I'd imagine that'll be dealt with relatively swiftly. It tends to be with these big-name boxers. Deontay Wilder, obviously, <laughs> we're not condoning what he did, but uh, I'm sure that it'll all breeze over, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think well, it's weird, isn't it, boxing? Because, it, you know what I mean? It's such big business. Sort of boxers kind of get them, themselves kind of involved in these kind of things. And it's it's really kind of terrible that, you know, the, the, the sport gets dragged through the mud like this. Yeah, I mean, you only have to watch the Panorama documentary on the BBC to, you know, shade a light on what boxing is all about. I mean, it is... It is a very interesting industry, to say the least, and Dion Thurard is somebody who, who has obviously been up to no good on this occasion. I mean, we have Javonta Davis, who, after the biggest one of his career against Ryan Garcia, has just been cleared of a hit-and-run incident, I believe. So, you know, these boxers are constantly getting themselves in trouble. You've got to remember to get in the ring to fight. You have to have a bit of a mental personality in the first place. And obviously, we do get gentlemen, make no bones about it, the likes of Anthony Crawler, Ricky Burns, Terry Flanagan, etc. proper good working class men but every now and again you do get somebody who could be described as a bad apple bringing a dark side to the sport mm. uh, this weekend it's time for more youtube boxing as ksi takes on a 9-0 pro boxer how big of a test is it in for him 
For KSI, um, this is significantly his biggest test today. He's fought in the past YouTubers. That is it. Mere YouTubers. And I suppose they could throw one journeyman boxer in there as well, but he is pretty much the same standard as YouTube boxers. Joe Fournier, okay. He only turned pro at 30 years of age, and he's coming into this off the back of being a multimillionaire business owner. But he can fight a little bit. He's got a decent understanding of boxing. He's got a good jab. He's got high-level training facilities, a good nutritionist, a good team. A little bit older than KSI. He's in his 40s now, but from a technical aspect, he's significantly the better operator. It's just whether he can cope with KSI's youth and KSI's power. That's what's interesting about this one for me, Rob. And if KSI can emerge victorious against a decent 9-0 level Brox, I mean, let's not make any mistake about it. The likes of KSI and the likes of Jake Paul, two, two YouTubers have come into this game and have really shown the pro boxers up. Because their recent opponents in Tommy Fury and Joe Fournier, most boxers at 2, 3, 4, 5 and 0 are still fighting fighters with losing records. They're actually doing better than a lot of the Olympians that are coming through. Mm. And obviously, sort of KSI, he wants to make that leap, doesn't he, from sort of YouTube boxer to boxer boxer. So if he does come up with a, with a big win, does that change your perception of him? And does that change the boxing world's perception of him too? I think it should do, Robert. If he beats Joe Fournier and he does it impressively, I think he's got every right to call himself a professional boxer. Look, he's been training half for years now. And, and granted, you know, you get a lot of these kids and they put years and years and years into the game, but they can't afford the nutritionists, the training partners, the sparring partners. Every element of KSI's wealth is going into making him the best fighter he can possibly be. And if you've got a base level of athleticism anyway, if you have optimum training facilities, you're going to unlock your maximum potential, whatever that is. By the looks of it, it's fairly high. Is it going to be good enough to become a world champion? No, most definitely not. But could he get to a point where he's beating very low-level professional boxers? Possibly. If he beats Joe Fournier, it'd be very impressive to me. So we'll have to see if he does it. Mm. How highly do you rate these guys and where will, where will they go from here? Joe Fournier is a good fighter. Um, technically good, but for me, he gets tired. KSI's best attribute is his physical fitness. KSI, for me, it's difficult to rank him because he's very unorthodox. He hasn't fought a high level of opposition, but he clearly carries power and he's clearly got that dog in him. And you can't teach that. So that's an important attribute for him to have. It's going to be an interesting fight this weekend because we don't know where these two men are. And it's going to be good to compare them because Tommy Fury and Jake Paul in this little YouTube scene. If you look at the four of these, they're, they're for me, sort of the standouts in these influencer scenes. So any matchup between the four of them is going to be interesting. And if if whoever wins does it so well and there's no rematch, they could go and fight Tommy Fury or possibly also Jake Paul. Yeah. And finally, what's the undercard like? Actually, you know, I, I sort of take that back by saying they're the four highest level fighters in this social media scene because there's a decent little operator on the undercard called Salt Pappy from the Philippines. He claims he has no amateur boxing experience, but by watching him, I, I, I think different. He's a very slick operator. He doesn't necessarily look it by his figure, but he's got a good level of strike and understanding. His pull counters are at a high level. He carries magnificent power. He's fighting former Bellator MMA fighter Anthony Taylor in a big step up for him, and it's going to be interesting to see how that one goes. Yeah, so loads going on in the boxing world. James, but now we're going to move on to Rugby League. We most certainly are, Rob, and let's talk Salford Red Devils. Congratulations, victorious at the weekend against Leeds. I know you were there at Headley Stadium. Talk us through the game, talk us through the atmosphere, and what a big day it was for you. Yeah, historic win for the Salford Red Devils, uh, James. You know, 
we've gone to Leeds many, many, many times and been beaten. Um, we've only ever beat them uh, nine times in total uh, since we started playing them. First time we beat them was in 1914 um, and the last time we beat them was Friday night. I've seen us beat them three times, which is in 2019, 2023 and 2009. So I feel like I'm quite a regular fan. If really, When you break it down, the amount of... Uh, games they played against Leeds over the years and, and been turned over. But Headingley is such a you know historic place for rugby league, not a happy hunting ground for Salford, but they were tremendous on um on the weekend James on Friday. You know, such sort of composed performance, uh, played good rugby at times made the right decisions at times and really squeezed Leeds. And and I look at this team and I think to myself, you know, how far can this team go? Are this team going to be good enough to reach a playoff or reach a uh, sort of a grand final? Uh, they've got to sort of a grand final and a, and a cup final over the last couple of years. But with Paul Rowley in charge, this this team has a, has a different mentality, a different way of playing. And they are, you know, probably one of the best Salford teams I've ever I've ever seen. Uh, you know, try scorers on the night. Sam Stone has been tremendous since his arrival from Lee. Uh, Reese Williams, our Welsh wizard on the wing, opened the scoring with a wonderful try in the corner. And then Alice Longstaff, who's on loan from uh, Warrington, who's coming uh, last couple of games and, and putting you know some really good performances. He managed to get on the on the score sheet as well. Mark Sneed, Salford's uh, general, kept the, the scoreboard ticking over with five goals as well. Uh, but Paul Rowley, he'll be buzzing with his performance and uh, obviously a massive statement going to Headingley and, and beating Leeds uh, will have certainly opened the eyes up uh, for everyone else in Super League. I mean, I would have loved to have been there uh, purely to watch your celebrations because I imagine you were melleying down onto the pitch. But it's four wins in a row now for Rowley's men. We need to think about, you know, how far can this team go? Because they're fifth in the league now and surely a player spot is valuable. Yeah, it's, it certainly is, James. And, you know, it's all about momentum. Rugby league. If you if you can win two, three, four games on the spin a couple of times in the season, that will guarantee you a playoff spot. And, and Paul Rowley's men, despite all the injuries, despite not having a massive squad, despite you know everything going on behind the scenes and trying to make the club bigger and better than it is, they have managed to string performances together and win matches. Sometimes it hasn't been great to watch, but they're showing grit, they're showing determination. They do have, you know, the, the firepower to score tries, but certain teams, they find a way a way to win. And that's what's happening at the moment. Paul Rowley's men are finding a way to win. It wasn't vintage Rowley ball on Friday night against Leeds, but they did enough to get a result. And, you know, obviously Leeds Rhinos aren't the team they used to be five, ten years ago. We have to hold our hands up and say that. But you still got to beat them. you just got to beat the team in front of you. And that's what they did on Friday. But can they do it again on Saturday? Away at St Helens, a difficult game, a Northwest derby, so to speak. So how are you feeling going into this one, Robin? Are you going to be there? Yeah, St Helens is, is another real graveyard when it comes to uh, Salford uh, victories. I think they won once in the last 50 years at Saints or 30 years at Saints. So it's, it's, it's not a, a great place but we've had some close, uh, you know, close results in the last couple of uh, seasons. You know, we we had the the semi-final, Super League semi-final last season against Saints, running very close. This team in form going to Saints. Saints lost uh, last week against Catalan, so they'll be stinging after that. But 
you've got to believe if they, if they believe that they can go to St. Helens and, and win, then you know that's a massive statement in it for the play the players who are working so hard, the fans who are behind them and believing, uh, and everyone else involved because this Salford side has enough in the tank to think you know we can go on and win something, but. You've got to beat the the player, the, the teams like Sailands uh, and Wigan and the top sides in the division to reach that uh, reach that accolade of winning a championship or winning a cup. Uh, but if you manage to beat Saints at Saints in the league, it certainly uh, you know opens a lot of people's eyes. It most certainly does, Rob. And you touched on belief there that the players need to believe that they can go there and turn over St Helens. As a fan, do you believe it? I do. I do. The way they're playing, James, you know, the solid in defence. They manage to grind results out. If they do click, you know, we've got players there who will score tries, like the Brody Croft, current Man of Steel, Mark Sneed, like I said, Ryan Briley hurt his eye against Leeds, so he might be out for a couple of weeks. Um, but you've got some good players who know how to win a game. Andy Ackers, um, you know, there's Ellis Longstaff, you know, there's, there's players there who have X Factor, who can win matches. So it just needs a good team effort and, and someone to sprinkle the magic and I can see two points going back to Salford. Well, Rob, I hope you're right and I hope that you have an all-time great weekend. Obviously, such a difficult ground to go to, but we're willing Salford on to get the job done. But it's not just the men's team that we're going to be talking about today. The Salford ladies, we are gutted as they are out after losing to Cardiff 8-12 in the Challenge Cup. Devastating, isn't it, Rob? Yeah, obviously, you know, this ladies team uh, fresh into Super League 2 this season after conquering the championship last season. First time they've played in the in the Challenge Cup. Uh, they lost last week to Featherston. They lost on Sunday uh, to Cardiff. Tries from Alex Simpson and Steph Gray. Was it enough for Chris Bates' ladies to, to get through to the next round of hearts? But you've got to think of it as a experience to grow as a team. Uh, they've got other, you know, they've got Super League, they've got a Rugby League Festival to come, so they've got opportunity to to put this to the back of their minds and play like they, we know they can. Uh, they're all growing as a team, uh, and we're all excited about what's what's to come despite defeat on Sunday. What exactly is that, Rob? Where do we see this team going in five years' time? Well, if they go anything like the last twelve months, James, we're looking at Super League champions the last in the next eighteen months, maybe. But we've got to be realistic, haven't we? You know, they've got some fine players down there at Salford, but they are playing at a higher level. Super League Two uh, isn't the Premier uh, Division in the ladies game but it is the second division it is uh, where the likes of Wigan and Lee play so you've got to make sure that you, you, you can reach that level but you know Chris Bates has got you know work get them working hard they've got some excellent players uh, in that team Emerald Hickey um, Steph Gray uh, Louise Fellingham Alex Simpson uh, Lucy McKeown Irish international uh, there's 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 players there who have X Factor. They've got a massive set of forwards. They've got a strike out wide. You've got the magic in the middle with uh, Demi Jones and Louis Fellingham. This team, in theory, could be pushing for a Super League one spot. But you're coming from the Championship. They will be playing teams who have been together a lot longer than our ladies have. And they'll just have to find a way uh, of breaking them, these teams down. But we're all behind and they're playing some good rugby, James. So uh, we're just excited what's to come. Yeah, we most certainly are. And I'll tell you what else I'm excited about, Rob, because we spoke about this in depth 
on last week's show. But Salford's share scheme has raised to over £130,000 in a week, which is utterly amazing, isn't it? Yeah, tremendous stuff from, from the fans, obviously. Paul King has come out and said, you know, come and join uh, the club, be an owner, invest in the club, helps us grow, helps us develop, helps us keep the players we are now, but helps us also grow and become a better club. And, you know, what a... What an encouraging situation that this uh, this is with where we are now with this 130 in the bank already. The target is 250 grand for the first sort of phase, and you kind of hoping that the fans will see this money, you know, growing. You'll see the team winning games like they did against Leeds on Friday night, and want to get involved. And you know, I really do believe that if this momentum is to continue, we can pass that 250 and go to the next level. Because really, phase three and phase four, we could be looking at up to 2 million quid if it all works out well. And that will help us provide uh, sort of infrastructure and museums and things you can sort of engage with the community, which is the biggest thing for me. This initial 250 grand is just uh, making sure that we've got a solid club, we keep our players together and, and allow to, to grow. But the next phase, if you get, if you're looking beyond getting the first 250 grand in uh, and that you read the business plan, which the club have produced, it gives us that chance, James, to be a top Super League club, which is what we all want, don't we? Uh, but the money's always been an issue. But we get that two million in the bank. You know, the world's our roster. We could be, you know, competing with the likes of Wigan Saints and Leeds forever and a day. You now, you most certainly could, Rob. And I think it's Salford right now. There's a real buzz around the club with the ladies' team, with the men's team. And with the ladies' nine team as well, because they're in action this weekend. I think we're all looking forward to it, aren't we? Yeah. Last season, James, it was controversy that when the ladies took part in this uh, festival at Warrington, they beat two Super League teams. They beat, I think it was Castleford, and they beat Huddersfield, uh, and they lost to, I think it was like Wigan, right? But um, they were like, one of the best sort of runners-up in the in the group and the, the finals are played at the AJ Bell. But unfortunately, Salford didn't qualify because they didn't score as many tries as another team did. Even though the tournament, the finals day, was was held at the Salford City Stadium, Salford weren't involved. You think if they wanted a big crowd, you'd if you had half a chance of putting the host in the stadium, you would. But that didn't happen, James. That's rugby league in a nutshell, really. But can't moan. We've grown from that experience. We're going into this nines tournament as a Super League 2 club. And we've got better players. We've got the experience as well of, uh, of playing against them. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully, they'll learn from last season. But then you think about it. Chris Bates will be looking at this at the the run of fixtures, what's to come in the you know in the league, and he, is he thinking to himself, you know, I really need to concentrate on staying in Super League and growing, or does he think I'm going to go and play in this ninth tournament and win? I mean, if you were a coach, James, are you thinking instant success and win this ninth tournament, or stay in the stay in the second division, well, the Super League two, and grow as a club? Depends how daring you want to be, I suppose, Rob. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, is the ever optimist. You go for it, in my opinion. You go mm. to win it. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. I suppose that's in Chris Bates' head. You know, these ladies 
aren't full-time professionals they're they are you know semi they train three times a week they do work hard uh, he's probably thinking to himself you know long super league season ahead do i really want my ladies to be be burnt out when it comes down to the later stages of this season but it will be interesting to see what kind of squad he manages to put together nine rugby is totally different to the 13 aside it's more athletic there's more tries more excitement as that to consider as well but if you want if you can get down to victoria park warrington uh, next week support our ladies uh, and hopefully they'll uh, they'll qualify for the final in a few weeks time Absolutely. I mean, it's a big game and we're all behind them. But looking at another of our local teams, now Swinton Lions mm. produced the upset of the season when they beat Toulouse 19-12. What a victory. Yeah, big, big shock. Swinton Lions turning over Toulouse. Toulouse were in Super League not 12 months ago. And for Swinton Lions to beat them at Haywood Road is a massive statement. Very exciting times there at Swinton Lions. Obviously, we talk about them on the you know weekly and how much uh, you know things go on behind the scenes and keeping this club alive. But a 19-12 win against one of the favourites in the division, uh, you know, was a massive, massive shot in the arm for rugby league and Swinton as well. Um, but yeah, congratulations for the Lions who are listening. You know what a result for your boys, and uh, I think that takes you third from bottom now. So you're on that, you're on the way up, and that's how it's about using this momentum and going forward with it uh, for the next games to come. It most certainly is. But in a big juxtaposition, Swinton ladies lost. To Warrington, 24-4 in the cup. Disappointed. Yeah, there is that. But what we have to remember, though, Swinton Lions ladies um, are on the bit sort of the start of their journey. Swinton Lions ladies are where Salford ladies were last season, um, and the Lunars are the, one of the top sides in the championship. So to, to put up a fight and to go down. With a you know reasonably close effort, you know will give the, the ladies of Swinton confidence going forward. You just kind of hoping they can can sort of come together and bounce back after after that result. Most certainly, Robert. It's going to be interesting to see what happens now. And now looking at the rest of the Super League, there's been some pretty interesting results floating around. Yeah, Catalan uh, Dragons, they beat uh, St. Helens uh, at home. Uh, St. Helens, like I said, one of the top sides in the Super League. The big story that happened there, James, was uh, a the Catalan chairman uh, decided that he'd want to bring some prize bulls down from the hills of, around Perpignan to parade in front of the crowd at half-time and, and before the game. Unfortunately, James, one of the bulls managed to break loose and ran round the pitch, scaring all the Catalan, fan, Catalan players who were, all, who were all dressed in red, I might like to add. Um, and obviously, all, they all scattered while this big you know, massive bull ran round the pitch. They managed to to, to manage to, to to sort of like stop it from panicking after a while. But they say rugby league players are really hard and tough, but they're not mad. They know when if the bull on the roost, when you're wearing red, you get away, and that's what they did. Yeah, very interesting, and we can't wait to see what happens throughout the rest of the season, Rob. But now touching on the world of football, and West Ham picked up a one nil win over Manchester United, deeply disappointing for the Red Devils and David De Gea a little bit of a mistake was he to blame 
Well, there's lots of talk in there about David De Gea um, and his future at Manchester United. Moments like this won't help. We know, we, we know, obviously, he's a fantastic goalkeeper. He has saved Man United many, many times through the season. But that was criminal. That West Ham goal, it's, it's something that you expect him to save. 99 times out of 10 uh, but it sneaks in and it really puts in a kind of a, a damages Man United's charge to that top 3, top 4 spot Liverpool are right up the the, the back now uh, and it's going to be disappointing for Hen, Hen Tag. Um, you know there's talk of, of uh, De Gea's contract extensions and all that and he has to be thinking now do I need to bring in another goalkeeper because obviously David De Gea, as he as he reached the end of the end of the road, James, and that that's the big question for me. It was like I say, we relied on him so much, but is he is he coming towards the end of his time at Man United? That's an interesting question, Rob, and it's something you could have asked for the last five seasons, isn't it? Hmm. I mean, despite the fact he's clearly got incredible talent, he does make these mistakes, and we always find ourselves asking, is he going to go here, is he going to go there, and there's been times where he's been so good, it's it's looking like he's going to jump ship and go to Real Madrid, mm. and other times it looks like he's sinking our ship, so it's difficult, isn't it, I think he's going to stay, because this has been a bit of a repetition, and after a while you need to notice a pattern, so for me, I think David De Gea stays, and as you mentioned before, he has saved our skin on numerous occasions, and does the good outweigh the bad for you? Well, I think with football, being a goalkeeper, their role has changed. You know, you're not just a shot stopper and you're not just an athletic um, goalkeeper who saves. You have to be able to play. And I think, obviously, we, we look about what happened against West Ham and, and you know, the, the mistake that David here made. But... His problem, as well as Manchester United's problem, has always been playing out from the back. He isn't comfortable with the ball at his feet, and the defenders f- fear feel that fear. So everybody's on edge. Numerous times against uh, West Ham on Sunday, Dec- uh, Declan Rice picked up the ball on just nicked out, pit-pocketed one of the Man United defenders and had a, a free run on goal. Panic stations at the back. That can't continue to happen. We know, obviously, we talk about football and how it evolves. Um, Sam Allardyce, uh, you know, he's back at Leeds and he was he's at Leeds now, isn't he? And he was talking about how we're all being brainwashed into how football should be played, about playing out from the back and all being slick when really... You've got to make it. You've got to get from back to front as quick as you can, and and try and get the goal. And I think that's a problem with Man United. We, we want to be seen to be playing like Liverpool or Manchester City, where all defenders are interchangeable, goalkeepers are comfortable with balls at the feet, uh, and we're all so smooth. And I just think that back six just isn't very comfortable the way they want to play. Unfortunately. The problem is there's no one up top who can hold the ball up and that's where Man United's problems are. Yeah, we've got Winehouse up front, uh, runs around, presses, does a bit of holding up, but he's not Harry Kane, is he? So until we solve that problem, whether it's Harry Kane or another top striker or a goalkeeper who can play with his feet, uh, we're going to continue to be in this loop of, well, we might be going somewhere. Oh, no, we're not. 
difficult, isn't it? I mean, there's been times during this season where we've had so much momentum, where Eric Ten Hag looked like he was capable of working wonders for this squad. Where are you right now with the Dutchman? Well, I think he has stuff to do. I think with the players he's got, I think he's made some big decisions. I think, obviously, Harry Maguire, not in the starting lineup for Man United, even though he is playing well for England and he's an £80 million player for him. Not to play him is a big decision. To play Luke Shaw as a centre-half where he isn't blessed with great pace, but it works in that system. And he has made the big decisions, but there is more big decisions to come, James. And how you fix that problem, obviously, like I said, you've got, you need a big centre-forward to hold the ball up. You've got too many kind of attacking wingers slash we'll call them inside forwards the likes of Sancho uh, Martial uh, you know players who aren't particularly at it all the time you've got the Fred situation you've got the McTominay you've got sort of problems there which will be fixed if he is given money by the Glazers or the new owners that are coming in without a serious cash injection, um, they're not able to pick the best players up in the world. If, if let's if, let's hope they do make the Champions League, which will, will make it easier for players, you know, to come to Old Trafford because they want to play at the highest level. So if they don't qualify for you, for the Champions League, then it will be a big problem. But we'll have to wait and see. It's going to be nervous. It's going to be exciting. You look at the fixtures. Um, you know, the, some tough fixtures there for Man United to come. Um, but you've got to believe in Hentag and what he's doing and uh, we'll get there. Yeah, I mean, at one stage, Rob, we were a million miles ahead of Liverpool. Mm. Now we're only separated by a single point. In terms of former momentum, they've definitely got that on us. Are you expecting us to make that top four? Well, they need, they, they need to find a way to stop the rot. And it's a difficult thing in football. In any sport, it gets in your head, doesn't it, if you're not performing you're losing late goals you know you've got the cup final against city to come you know it's it's pressure but that's man united pressure a privilege pressure is a privilege in it and you're hoping that these united players can grow into that pressure do i think we'll make the four i think we will but it's not going it's going to be close it's going to be by the skin of our teeth if we do it's difficult. That's difficult to hear because you would have liked, you know, at some point, especially about a third of the way into the season, there was discussions of us maybe even making a run at a title. Ultimately, mm. that always seemed like us maybe stretching the boat out a little bit too much, but we dared to dream. And now everything is crumbling. We're taking on Wolves this week. Never the easiest team to play, but we are at home. We are at Old Trafford. Can we get the job done? Yeah, that, this is a game, James, that if you want to be in the top two let's say is you beat Wolves at home it doesn't matter whether you win 3-0 or whether you win 1-0 the result has to be a positive one it has to be a win you'd like to do a 3-0 win and, and stroll there and that might send a message but anything but a win and then you know the fear grows even more than it so we'll have to wait and see hopefully you know after a week of, of, of not playing uh, they'll be fully rested up players will have the tactics sorted out uh, and we'll beat Wolves. You hope so, don't you? But now looking at Manchester City, they did a 3-0 job on West Ham, pretty comfortable, and then a 2-1 over Leeds. Obviously, there was that big controversy with the penalty, it being stolen 
off Erling Haaland and ultimately missed. So very controversial there. I mean, the way he's been playing this season, it's always seemed like a brave moment to take something off the Norwegian. But regardless, Leeds capitalised, scored, and were very close to finding another. And that could have completely thrown the Premier League on its head. Ultimately, City got the job done. But were you nervy watching that? It was a strange one, James, because obviously at Man City so ruthless aren't they you know they'll just take teams apart they're just a, a wonderful sight aren't they going forward they've got players who are you know goal scorers they've got creation they've got defence they've got a championship uh, winning team we all know that don't we so for the City to say you know what instead of 2-0 instead of giving it to Haaland and saying right make it 3 and then we'll try and get more They've gone, give it to Gundogan because he's already scored twice to see if he can get an hat-trick. And that, for me, is that a weakness? Because obviously it's a human it's a human uh, sort of emotion in it to say, you know, I want you to score a hat-trick rather than I want the team to win. So is that is that kind of a weakness where Man City, is that a chink in the armour, do you reckon? Yeah, I think so, Rob. You shouldn't play an emotion. You play for the team. And the mm. best strategic decision was to let Erling Haaland take that spot kick because it was almost definite that he was going to convert it. Instead, they've allowed somebody to take it for the purposes of ego, and that's not the best thing to do. I mean, granted, they are ahead of Arsenal now. It looks like they've very nearly got the league in the bag, but Leeds end up equalising. You know, you have a swing in momentum, Arsenal gets some confidence, and you just never know. So it was unprofessional for me. Mm. And obviously with the the games to come. Uh, they've got Real Madrid on Tuesday in the Champions League. Um, you know, the, the league is still in the melting pot. Real Madrid on Tuesday, a huge game. Um, you know, what, what do you make of that? You know, will this, uh, you know, have an effect on that game, you think? I think Manchester City are going to fall short. They've never, ever managed to produce big in Europe. And mm. I know there will be more pressure in a final, so maybe it's good to get Real Madrid out of the way. But I just think with the years of experience and the years of knowing how to get the job done, you have to make Madrid the favourite. Pep Guardiola has bottled it in this situation before, hasn't he? And I think he could well do it again. I think Real Madrid get the job done. As for the other game, Everton, that is interesting. The Toffees ultimately right now in 19th place. And it isn't just a case of, oh, like last season, yeah, they're in the bottom, but they're probably going to survive. They are now four games away from relegation. So what, what's your opinion on those two games? Well, like, like I said, Real Madrid, you know, it's a massive game. It's it's what, you know, if Man City want to be in the top echelons of, of European football, they have to win in Champions League. That's, that's a game, that's a given. Um, but to play Real Madrid and and to win a Galactico, I know it's not like a, they had the Real Madrid Galacticos, but to win a, a massive game at that is a big statement. But like I said, with the Champions League and the Premier League and the FA Cup, it's it's all about how Pep manages to manage that situation. We talked about him overthinking stuff before and, and how he's thrown you know, the Champions League away before. But will he learn from that? Will he be able to do will he be able to right the wrongs of his of previous errors? Um Real Madrid are a good team, they've got some good players, uh, they're in good form. So it's going to be a fantastic occasion. I'm sure, you know, the general football fans will, will want to tune in to see, you know, what happens there. Um, we're all excited about it. Talking about sort of Everton, you know, they're in the dogfight, aren't they? At the bottom, 
and uh, we'll have to wait and see. It's, it's you know, Everton are a good team. Sean Dyche there trying to eke out something uh, from that team. Um, Manchester City. They're in, they're in fine form. Can he upset the apple cat? Has that Everton team got enough belief um, to, to upset uh, Manchester City? I watched a, a highlight today of when Everton, last time they got relegated, I think it was 1994, and they beat, I think it was Wimbledon the last day. After being 2-0 down, they won 3-2 uh, to stay up that year. Uh, and they'll need something like that to, to get them over the line. But anyone could beat anyone in that bottom six. So... It's, it's going to be interesting to see where Everton are, but Everton are a good club, aren't they? Professional club, um, you know, Premier League stalwarts, never been relegated. So for them to drop out of the Premier League would be a, a huge blow, especially with that new stadium being built. Um, you know, it's it'd be a bad thing for them, but anything can happen. Next couple of games, crucial for everyone. Yeah, I don't think anyone ever thought they were actually going to go down, but now it looks like that could very much be the reality. And another mm. team you've had, a pretty appalling season by their amazing standards is Chelsea. Finally, Frank Lampard gets a win, a free one over Bournemouth, but they're still currently 11th in the table and a bottom half finish. That was unimaginable at the start of the season. Yeah, it's not good. Obviously, Chelsea have spent lots of money. New owner comes in. Um, Turkle, you know, gets them to a you know, nearly Champions League next last season and, and it all falls away, signs a lots of players on long contracts and it doesn't quite work. Time is needed. Is Frank Lampard the man to take this uh, Chelsea team to the next level? I don't think he is. But it's going to be a massive appointment um, from the Chelsea hierarchy who comes in. Because if you don't find somebody who can close that gap, then it can spiral. So we'll have to wait and see. It's going to be interesting down there at Stamford Bridge with all the money slushing about. Uh, but it's going to be fascinating viewing. It most certainly is, Rob. And I'll tell you what else is going to be fascinating viewing is Salford's game against Gillingham at the weekend. They produced a thrilling fixture against Carlisle going... 2-0 up before Carlisle managed to equal it in the 85th minute via a penalty. And then in the 88th, Bolton grabs a second goal to win the game for Salford. Absolutely massive in this battle for a playoff place. And now a win against Gillingham will solidify their place. And the team they're playing, not the greatest this season. In the bottom half of the table, it's a very winnable game. Are Salford going to get this done? Yeah, James, it is. It's another game that when we look back through the season, there's always points in the season where you think, could it could it have been different? Obviously, Gillingham at home um, is a game that I'm sure the Salford faithful will be looking at and thinking, we can win this. And the journey they've been on, the ups and downs, it's going to be really tight. You're hoping for a good start. If Salford can come out quick, James score early it's always it's always good for a team if they score early in a contest it settles everyone's nerves down and we can start playing from there the longer the game goes on at nil nil the more you're looking over your shoulder at how other teams are going on and, and that's half the problem really if you're sort of distracted about what's going on 50 mile away 100 mile away you take your eye off the ball right in front of you and then if generally manage to nick a goal you know or panic stations for everybody then but you're hoping like I said you know we've got this winning mentality the last couple of weeks we've scored late in the last few games and we're hoping we can do that again yeah, we most, yeah absolutely I mean the story that this side has been on I mean maybe they weren't quite ready last season but this year I think they are 
I think they're ready to go into these playoff positions. And granted, you know, it's not really easy to win. But should we get the victory against Gillingham, Rob? How are you feeling about going into this? Well, playoffs, anything can happen, James. It's You know, if we can get ourselves in the playoffs, we're in form. Teams will be looking at Salford thinking... I don't really want to face them because they don't know when they're beaten. And that is a that is a really good skill to have in this playoff situation because you'll go to the death and if an opportunity comes, you know you've got the quality to, to steal the game. And, you know, with, like you say, the backing of the, the class of 92 and, the you know, the coaching staff down, the players down there working hard, just need an opportunity. As soon as they get an opportunity to score, win the game and then we're looking at you know, promotion into the next division. Yeah, we are. And having a look at Arsenal, everything fell apart against Manchester City, but in a testament to their willingness to keep going and keep pushing, they got a 3-1 win over Chelsea. They've then picked up a 2-0 win over Newcastle today. Two very tough games on paper. And what does that say about the mindset that Mikel Teta has installed into his man? Yeah, they need to keep winning, don't they, James? And with a minute to go, we, we've got to believe, well, I've got to believe that they've got enough, but... We know what's happening. We, we know that City, City had a team to beat and it's going to be you know, really tough for Arsenal to pick himself up after the last couple of weeks. A win at Newcastle is a statement, but have they got enough in the tank to win them the title? Who knows, Rob? I don't think so. They've got a tough game coming up against Brighton. I think they'll win it, but I don't think it's going to be enough to get the job done. So to throw us out, to finish the show, Rob, what is your score prediction for Arsenal versus Brighton? For Arsenal v Brighton, Brighton are a tough team. Um, I think Arsenal will uh, sort of get a result, but everything's in the melting pot, James. That's what Premier League football is all about. It's about the excitement, it's about the thrills, it's about late goals, it's about drama, and that's what we want in, in the Premier League. All the teams that we follow you know, bring this excitement to the, to the party. So big thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat.